You may love God's word. I mean, God's word has, there's like seven levels of revelation. And you can read about the gates and say, oh, that's really cool. That's neat how they built them. But let's, we're going a level deeper. Is that okay if we go a little deeper here at Gateway Church? Or you just want like the 399 sermon I down off Sermon Central? Uh, you know, we'll up it. We'll up it to, no, like we're going to go deeper because there's more revelation as we go deeper. But every one of these gates that surrounded Jerusalem has a, a prophetic protocol. There's, a, there's declarations that I make every day over my life based on these gates. If you go on our app, you can see them on our app. You can pull them up. You can read through them, declare over your life. Um, there are also prayers that you can make. So um, I pray, I declare over myself, and then I pray for my wife at every single gate. I pray every blessing. Um, and I resist everything demonic because there's 10 things that I believe that when Nehemiah set up these gates and they were named, they were prophetically named. How many believe God does that? In the Bible. That's why the Bible is like, it's amazing. And today, we're going to talk about the resistance that we need to make against the spirit of infirmity. How many know sickness is of the enemy? If you're sick, you're not the enemy. But if you have sickness, we have to battle sickness and see it as a curse and not as a blessing. Now, I know for some of you in your church upbringing, maybe that's what they taught you. God wanted to get you sick so you could go evangelize the hospital. I don't teach that. I believe I could go evangelize you at Disneyland or wherever, at the roadie, the, you know, whatever restaurant I want to go to. I don't need to go to the hospital to share the gospel with you. But if you do get sick and have to go to the hospital, that's okay. But I never allow that sickness is called a blessing. Because when you read in the Bible, it's something that we're called to resist. And the scripture that I want to talk about throughout this series is James 4, 7 that says, submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Let's say that together, okay? Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So there's two parts that we have here. First, we submit. We come in alignment with what God's saying about us. That's part of your declaration. How many know we need reprogramming? We've been programmed inappropriately, and then we align ourselves with what the Bible says about us, and then we submit ourselves to God, and then we can resist the devil. You can't resist the devil if you haven't submit yourselves to God. That's a lost battle. And so today we're going to talk about the, the old gate, which is gate number three over here. And at the first three gates... It's learning how to receive. The sheep gate represents forgiveness. The fish gate represents blessing. And the old gate represents healing. And all these first three gates, you have to be a really good receiver. You have to learn how to receive freely. And Christians have a very difficult time with this sometimes. Why? Because they think they got to work for everything. Oh, I can't receive that. I, I, you know, you try to bless somebody, no, I got to do something for you, or I can't just receive it freely. <laughs> Did you know that if you can't receive freely, you can't become a Christian? You can say amen or ouch, but it's just, the, it's truth. If you think you can work for your salvation, you're deceived and you can't be a Christian. True or false? Can I pastor you this morning? Yeah. So we have to learn how to freely receive. 
I, I'm just receiving the goodness of God, the grace of God. I'm receiving what Jesus did for me. And healing is one of those things. Healing is the gate where we learn just to rest and relax and freely receive. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. You just have to freely receive it. And um, if, you've, if anyone here has, has realized that sickness is something we need to resist, and you develop muscles through resistance. Did you know that? And the more there's resistance, the more spiritual muscles you get. And I want, I want Gateway Church to be buff. Come on. Like we've been working our spiritual muscles out. So when you battle infirmity, like if you just accept it, well, oh, you know, the flu's going around. Yeah, it's going around me. That's what I say every year, you know. I don't, I, we don't receive it because we don't believe that this is something we should receive, but we resist it. It's a spirit of infirmity, and it's a battle. And what it says here, Jesus dealt with this in Luke 13, 11. It said there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity. Everybody say spirits of infirmity. That these spirits, I'm not saying there's never a physical effect of sickness on your body, but some sickness is rooted in the demonic, in a spirit. And Jesus said that this woman had a spirit of infirmity for 18 years. She was bent over and she could not fully straighten herself out. It also talks about that we have to know that it's God's will. God wants us well. Everyone who came to Jesus was healed. Everyone. That's amazing. So when we're praying for people, sometimes they'll say, if Jesus just showed up here, do you think you would get well? Yeah, of course I would. That's the same faith we must have. Where two or three gather in his name, Jesus shows up. So we have to understand not only is God willing, he's able. And this is a question that we find that had to be answered in the Bible, Matthew 8, 2, and 3. And it says, Behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will... You can make me clean. How many know that there are people who question whether God's willing to heal you or not? Some people think, oh, you know, I, well, I smoked for 20 years or I was, you know, doing this drug here. or I, I didn't take very good care of my body. I was, you know, eating Twinkies and crayons, you know, and, and so I deserve this. And this is where we, we want to punish ourselves. We think because I did this to me. I deserve this. Did you know when you injure yourself and you go to the emergency room, the, the person at the desk doesn't go, did you do this to yourself or did somebody else do this to you? <laughs> Ma'am, I'm bleeding profusely, but I did it to myself. I'm sorry, we're not willing to heal you because you did it to yourself. Now, do you think God is, is greater and gooder than the person at the emergency room? They're going to say, hey, we're here to make you well. We're here to get you well. I don't care if you did, got the spirit of stupid on you and you did it yourself or somebody else did it to you. We're here to heal you. Now, why do you think the kingdom of God is any different? God is good. He loves to bring healing and he's willing. Remember what did Jesus say? And then Jesus said, he stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will. Everybody say, I will. He's willing. Now, other people question his, his ability. He says um, in Matthew 9, 28, when he entered into the house, the blind man came to him and Jesus said to him, do you believe that I am able to do this? 
So some people question God's willingness. Other people question God's ability. Now, I read a, a book by Michael Brown, and he's a Hebrew scholar. He did a whole thesis on the book, uh, on the name, not the name, the title of Rapha, Jehovah Rapha. And his, his conclusion was, in ancient times, if your God couldn't heal, he couldn't be God. You took away his God license. Sorry, can't be God. Just not qualified. You can try harder, you know, maybe apply again later, you know, once you work on this healing thing. But they were convinced, the ancients were convinced, the God who heals, if your God can't heal, give me your God license. So God not only has the willingness, but he has the ability to do it, all right? So he's good, and he's big. He's good, that means he's willing. He loves to bring healing. He's a healer. That's what he does. It's not like, oh, I don't know what to do. No, you don't come to God for, for your healing. Come to him because he's your healer. You understand? I'm just coming because this is what you do, Lord. You're good at it, and you love to do this. Psalm 103 says he heals all our diseases and forgives all our sin. And there's a connection between having sickness in your body and having sin in your soul. You know, dis-ease, let's break that word down, dis-ease. Your life's no longer easy because you're sick. Come on. How many are with me? So we create a culture here at Gateway where we receive the healing power of God. We learn how to walk in the healing power of God. It's interesting, as uh, you know, I've written the name translation Bible. One of the men who built the wall, his name meant lame. <laughs> so if, if you're here today and you feel lame, you're sick in body, you know what I mean? Just know you need to get building this wall up. I, I believe that the, even the names of the people who built this wall, they're like, hey, I'm lame here, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build this wall. I'm going to press through. Now, why is this gate called uh, the, the healing gate? In the Hebrew, it's called the yeshinah. It's, yeshinah means the old. used to be the corner gate. And the corner gate, how many know that the healing is oftentimes in the tip of things or the corner of things? Remember, they reached out to Jesus just to touch the corner or the edge of his garment. And when they touched that... They were made whole. It also says in the book of Malachi that he, um, it says, but you fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. There's, there's healing in the corner and the tips of those wings. And so there's a, a picture that we take from the old gate that it represents the healing power of God. How many know God is willing and he's able? How many that Jesus did nothing that he didn't see the Father doing? You know, Jesus didn't get, on some, get off his medicine in the, in the uh, New Testament and start becoming, you know, he or God, whatever you want to say. What you see Jesus doing is what you see the Father doing. And so when we look into the scriptures today, we realize that we're resisting the spirit of infirmity. There are times when God just calls you to, to change your lifestyle. Sometimes God calls you, you know, I follow the biblical diet. Some people say, you think you're holier than me? No, I just want to live longer than you. Uh, why do we follow the biblical diet? Did you know the Bible talks about in the, in the Old Testament, it talks about getting mold out of your house. I mean, there are principles in the Old Testament that I think are, are valid, 100% valid, first in the natural, then in the supernatural. 
How many know the healing is in the, the leaves? The Bible says that in Revelation, healing is in the leaves. It's in the herbs. Like what we eat is important. How many think that the Bible talks about what you should put in your mouth? Everybody's getting uncomfortable right now. But the Bible is concerned about what you put into your mouth. The reason why is because he wants you to live long. So we live a healthy life, but there is sometimes when we're battling a spirit of infirmity. When I went to uh, Cambodia a number of years ago, uh, is, are we okay to show the video? I think so. Okay, give me a second. So I went to Cambodia a number of years ago. I got invited because they said, the Cambodian people are too serious. We need you to come in. Make them happy. So I don't know. They, they, they bring me along because I guess I can bring some joy. And uh, one of the things we did, and we'll talk about this gate next week, um, we saw over 10 people healed of, uh, in their backs. We saw back, if you need healing for back, next week is the week you need to be here. But we, we taught and we took authority over the spirit of infirmity, especially the spirit of Leviathan, which will twist and turn things and gets on your back. So there was a, this woman here. She, uh, she had been bent over since 1986, and this is 2019. Um, we saw a number of people's backs healed. And so, and I'd invite them up, and I had the people who got healed. Then they prayed for someone else, and we kept seeing more and more backs get healed. But hers was not budging after, that's 30, 86, that's almost over 30 years. Okay, my math, three out of two people are good at math. So, um, but, so this was where we prayed, we released the presence of God. We just said, you're healed in Jesus' name. Nothing happened. You'll see that I take authority over the spirit of infirmity. And this woman, all pain leaves her. So go ahead and run that. I think we got volume. We got volume. Since 1986, good Test it out, try to make it hurt. Come on, thank you, Jesus. Let's give Jesus a shout of praise. So there are, are times where you have to you have to take authority over the spirit of infirmity because sometimes that spirit is is the problem. So if you pray for somebody and they don't get healed or their pain moves around, oftentimes that spirit is connected to their sickness, to their illness. How many know we're just giving you tools this morning? Jesus, in Acts 10, 38, it says that Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. I'm going to say that again. Healing all who were oppressed by the devil. So sickness sometimes is a spirit of infirmity. We started out this morning where that spirit had caused that woman to be bent over, and now she's no longer bent over because it's, you're dealing with the spirit. So we have to resist the sickness. We have to resist the spirits that come against us. And as we look into the scriptures, number one, uh, the first thing I want you to fill in today is are you deterred or are you determined? I want to create a culture here where we're determined to see people well. 
and this may be offensive to some people, but I think we have to keep a tenacity uh, that says God is a healing God. He loves healing, and he wants to heal, and he's able to heal, and we welcome him to do those very things. And we have to create that very culture. Romans 1.11 says, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. How many know the spiritual gifts are on our lives to make other people strong? I'm, I don't have a healing gift on me so people look up to me and I have power over you. That's a cult, man. Like, that's not what we're up to. There's healing on my life so I can make you strong. There's healing on your life so you can make others strong. If you suddenly think that your gift now makes you have power over other people, find a different church. Amen. Did I just say that? I did. But it's true, right? Like, that's not how we do it here. Because it's about empowering other people. Uh, and God will see. that that sound threatening to you guys? I'm not preaching. And there's no one here that I'm trying to get rid of this morning. All right. Just look at your neighbor. Say, it's good. It's good. All right. It's good. All right. Okay, okay, okay. But let's talk about the spiritual gifts. Paul said, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, I do not want you to be uninformed. And some churches, how many know, have never taught about the spiritual gifts in their entire existence? All right? They're scared to death. But can I say, Paul says you're uninformed about the spiritual gifts. It doesn't mean they might not be using them. They might just be using them in the wrong way. I may have seen some charismatic churches use the spiritual gifts in the wrong way. Like, hey, I'm going to discipline my children. Come up here, honey. And the Lord says, clean your room. I mean, I've heard it all. Trust me. I'm not doing that this morning, and I'm not prophesying over my daughter. She's looking at me funny now. So. But the whole idea, I love you, Abigail. So the, the whole idea is we have to be aware of the spiritual gifts, not only that they exist, but aware how to use them. Come on. you got to know how to use them in the right way. And that's what we want to do. We want to train you how you can use them in a powerful way, in a great way, in a way that makes other people strong. Paul said, don't be unaware. But he says this in 1 Corinthians 14.1. Eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Come on. Like we're supposed to be going after the gifts. When we say we want to train you how to use the spiritual gifts, why? Because we want to see you strong. Did you know our country is about to be taken over by Marxists because they're using mass hysteria about a disease? We could take over our country with a mass revival of healing. Come on. Think about it. If the enemy's using that, ooh, I know, because the enemy knows there's authority and power when it comes to healing, when people see the goodness of God and see ailments leave, see sickness leave, people will be encouraged and turn to the Lord eagerly. Everybody say eagerly. eagerly. That means to be zealous for, to go after the spiritual gifts. You and I have to go after the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. So when we talk about a culture, a culture is a place where we are cultivating growth. So is it okay that sometimes we coach you around here? You know, if, if, if I'm your coach, you know, I think a pastor is very similar to coach. If you're playing basketball and you're double dribbling all the time, or you're step, I'm going to coach you. I'm going to say, you don't do that. This is how you do it. And be okay with that. Like, how many are willing to be coached? 
right? Because we want to win. That's why. We're not controlling. We're not control freaks. We're coaching you. And so we're trying to create an environment where sickness is not, how do we say that, that we don't accept it as God's will, but we're contending for your breakthrough. We, we recognize God's good, he's willing, he's able, and he's big. And so we have to be determined. So let's say someone will come to us and say, you know, I have cancer. You know, I will immediately say, no, you're fighting cancer. Okay, just, and that's how you, how do you create a culture where sickness knows it's not welcome? And we're not claiming it's ours. Like, no, that's not yours. That's from the pit of hell. You got to fight that. Now, the problem, come on, I've been in the, the faith church for a long time. I love faith. I love healing. But how many know denying that you're sick is, is, is not realistic either? Like, no, you know, snot's coming out of their nose, and they're, uh, I, had a, I, deny, I deny that I'm sick. Really? No, that's just reality. But never step back from, but I'm fighting this thing. I'm doing everything in my body. I'm telling my body sickness does not belong in here. You guys see the difference? I'm just trying to make it healthy. So we're just saying, I recognize that, I'm, that the doctor said I have this ailment. I have, I have kidney disease, but I'm fighting it. And correct people. Don't let people put sickness on you. That's how you create a culture. Now, I know I've, I've used this analogy before, but it's so good, I'm just going to use it again. Is it all right? So it's the rubber ducky analogy. You come in to the Fairfield Inn, you go up to your room, and the front desk says, hello, Mr. Monahan." Okay, you're me, I guess. Uh, how's your room? Oh, man, everything's great. Um, I'm just getting ready to, to take, I'm warming up my bath right now. Um, I can't find the rubber ducky. Would you please send me a rubber ducky? I'm like, sir, we don't offer rubber duckies here at the Fairfield Inn. Oh, okay. Then you'll hang up. That probably is not going to change the hotel, am I? I'm probably not going to change... The hotel. But let's say for the next month, every time the hotel desk calls up and asks how the room is, the person asks for a rubber ducky. How many know Fairfield Inn will start uh, having rubber duckies at their front desk? How many believe that to be true? Come on, right? That's all you got to do. You got to speak it out. And this is what happens in a culture. How do you change a culture? You want to see rubber duckies at the front desk of the Fairfield Inn? Come on. Well, you've got you've to start asking for it. My bath. My, can't take a bath without a rubber ducky. What kind of hotel is this? Man. You understand? Like, we are determined so that the culture shifts. And sometimes we need to, we need to step out. We need to realize that this is not acceptable anymore, and we're changing. We're shifting the culture. But how many know cultures are very difficult to change? It takes faith. It takes um, determination. So when we talk about the spiritual gifts, uh, did you know healing is one of the gifts of the Spirit? And what I want you to fill in on this is that you don't have to be special to be, to be a healer. You're all special. But there's a specialization. I believe every person is a healing specialist. Every one of you. Some of you know what your specialty is. Some of you don't. So one of the gifts that I had, I was able to study the book of 1 Corinthians in the original Greek manuscripts in, uh, in Wesley Theological Seminary a number of years ago.
And so we, we read the whole book in the original Greek language. Can I nerd, nerd out a little bit this morning? It's fun. And, you know, the first Corinthians talks about this charismatic, crazy church, the first Corinthians. And uh, the, the, uh, my professor, he said, you know, he, he knew I was a charismatic. He said, Chris, explain this to me about the gifts of the Spirit. Because you use, you know, your church uses the gifts. I'm like, shabba-dabba-doo, yeah, we do, you know. Uh, that was Fred Flintstone, if you didn't. No, that was speaking in tongues. Okay. Uh, you know, we speak in tongues. We interpret tongues. We do everything, you know. And he goes, Christy goes, this is where it gets odd here because in the Greek, it doesn't say the gift of healing. It says the gifts of healing. Gifts. So there's not just one gift of healing. There, there are literal gifts. And he said, how do you explain that? And I said, what I believe is that just like in the medical profession, you have eye doctors, you have OBGYN, you have dentists, you have chiropractors. There are different healing gifts that each of us has a specialty for. And if we discover that, then you're going to see tremendous success in that area. Like I believe a you know eye doctor could probably heal a, a broken leg, but I mean the guy who is great at, with eyes is probably going to have more success. Now, I'll pray for you no matter what. Oh, no, that's not my healing gift. That's not my specialty. No, you're going to get healed when I pray for you. Come on. I mean, you're, we're going to see healing take place. But if your specialty, because I always tell people, I have a specialty in uh, dealing with uh, people that have seizures. People have memory loss. <laughs> people have people battling seizures. I have a specialty in that. That's my, I've seen... So much healing take place when I pray for people with, uh, with <laughs> yeah, epilepsy, seizures, whatever. I've seen tremendous healing. Now, I want you to ask the Lord. Take a, let's stop here for a second. Okay. Just say this prayer. Say, Lord, reveal to me what my specialty is when it comes to healing. Okay, how many think they, they have an idea what it possibly could be? All right. You got one person? Maybe, maybe, maybe. Come on. We're, we're trying it out. We're trying it out. Um, and so um, what'd you get? What'd you get? Shout out what you got. The mind. The, mind, the heart. The heart toes. toes. Uh, Babies. All right. All right. Anybody else? Healing of seizures in the body. Migraines. All right. Oh, yeah. Healing of emotions. So at the end of service today, what we'll do is we'll have all you guys come up who have a gift, and if your ailment matches their healing gift, can they practice on you? Is that okay? All right, come on. Give God a shout of praise. That's good. So... Remember, spiritual gifts are supposed to connect people to the world around them and the God who loves them. They're not to connect them to the person. Oh, Chris, he's, a, he's so amazing. They're supposed to connect people to God and to others around them. We're just the mail delivery people. We're Amazon delivering the, the gifts, okay? You need that here. I don't really care about the personality of the Amazon driver. I don't care, all right? Sounds kind of cold and heartless, but he's just bringing me the package. We're just bringing you the package. 
And we all have to know that we are delivery people. Remember I talked about earlier that we're called to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Are you? I'm challenging you this morning. If you want to see breakthrough, we have to, we have to all eagerly desire these very things. And it's interesting because um, in 1 Corinthians 12, 1, I'm going to give you a little bit of different translation because most of the time you'll hear it's the Holy Spirit is the one who gives the gifts. Now, I'm going to give you a different translation because this is a, a possible translation in the Greek. In 1 Corinthians 12, 11, it says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit, apportioning to each one individually as He wills it. Who is the He? Everyone thinks it's the Spirit. But in this context, I declare, and I can read this in the Greek, if we desire, if we will it, we'll get it. It's a shift of the way we think. We're called to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. And a lot of people say, well, the Holy Spirit didn't give it to me. Did you desire it? Did you will it? Come on, are you with me this morning? If we're not willing the gift, we're not wanting the gift and desiring it, we're not going to get it. And if we're taught, well, the Holy Spirit didn't give it to me, I don't believe that. I believe all the gifts, I declare every single gift every morning over my life, over my wife's life, and over a few other people every day because I want them to walk. You guys want it all? Yeah. We're called to eagerly desire the gifts. Let's will them all for our lives. And we see this, as it says in the book of Corinthians, that these are gifts of healing. They're healing gifts that we're called to desire to go after. And this is something that we press into. The last thing I want to say is that the gifts are, are not work-based, they're faith-based. And we desire those, we go after those, uh, joyfully contending for every gift to practice. Uh, there's people out there who are growing in their gifts, growing in how to hear God, how to heal the sick, how to bring deliverance. We should all be tra getting trained to do those very things so that we can make other people stronger. But they're not ever, we're never able to work for them. Healing is a gift that we receive. It's a gift that we walk in. I always say it's, it's more caught than it is taught. But we, when we're around people that have those gifts, we catch it. That's why we bring in people that have those gifts because it, it just allows us to go to another level. And for some, for some reason, it seems like, especially when there's a very difficult case where someone has been given a death sentence, oh, you're going to die in three months, that... As Christians, we become way too serious about our prayers. And when I say that is it seems like we're working for it instead of just releasing it. And this is where I think we make mistakes because we forget that it's just a gift. It's something that we release. Galatians 3, 5 says, does he who supplies the spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith. And this is what he's, Paul saying. He's like, listen, are you guys able to do the miracles because of, of how you work, of, of your works? Or is it because you just heard with faith and you believed? Are you guys with me this morning? Because what happens is like, we'll pray for somebody and they don't get healed. And then we'll say, let's pray again. And what do we do? We go, we, it's like we, we get more serious. And I think we don't see the healing take place 
Because then it becomes something that we're working for. You understand how that happens? We're, we're used to like pressing in. I, I remember going to a prayer meeting and had all these spiritual leaders around. And we're like, we're going to pray for this person to be healed. And uh, this, their, their culture of prayer was like this. Can I, can I show you what their culture of prayer was? Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. I mean, it's like, are you guys working for this? I, that's my question. Like, we, are you guys working for it? Because it sounds like you're working for it. Instead of just saying, Lord, you did this. You're good. This is what Jesus, you sent Jesus to crush sickness in this body, and it doesn't belong. So we declare it gone. We release the presence of God. So there's, we, we step back from that desire to, to make it feel like we're working it. Are you guys with me this morning? And it's like, Lord, you're good. And that's why sometimes the next time we pray for somebody, Instead of working for it, I'll just go, okay, we're going to laugh over you. <laughs> and they're like, this guy's got a stage four cancer and you're laughing at him. <laughs> yeah. Cheerful heart is good medicine. <laughs> it's, it, like it seems awkward, but I'm doing it for a reason because I want to see them healed and well. And so we have to relax and step back and say, God, it, it's something you have done, not something I have done. And we have seen so many people uh, healed. My, the, since I realized it's not a work that I do, uh, I've seen so much more happen. And so we practice, and we just say, God, you're, you're God. This is who you are. You're willing. You're able. And, and you begin to grow. You begin to grow in that. And sometimes you'll feel when you're praying for somebody, they'll feel heat, they'll feel electricity. And sometimes it's good to invite them like, hey, if you feel something, you can stop my prayer anytime. Oh, yeah, I felt electricity. I felt power. When you're feeling things, that's a, that's a great sign. And it's so important. We were praying. We used, to, we used to have the food pantry here. And I'm telling you all my old stories. I'm sorry, but they're just good. So um, we were praying for a guy that couldn't move his arm up above this point. So we just decided... We're going to pray and see what happens. And, and as we prayed for him, he just felt that you could just literally feel heat coming off him. And his, and his arm was able to go completely up in the air because we released healing, healing over him. And it was it just a powerful, uh, God wants to move powerfully. But for us, again, we have to know that God's, he's willing and he's able we have to understand his word and confess the word that it's faith-based. It's based on what we hear. So we're trying to, Lord, what are you doing right now? We're not, we're not trying to work this thing out. Well, my training's told me to do this. It's more like, Lord, what do you want to do at this point? You understand? We're asking God, what do you want to do at this point? If somebody can't walk right, do we do, we, um, do the leg thing where they sit down and watch their leg grow? I mean, we just say, Lord, what do you want to do? Uh, we don't, we don't say, well, it worked this way before. No, what, Lord, how do you want to do it this time? So it's inviting the Lord to do that. Now, has anybody ever heard John 3.16 before? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, most people, you know, everybody knows John 3.16, right? But most people don't know as much that John 3.14 and 15, it's a story about when Jesus was lifted up, in, and it talks about him being lifted up, um, and it talks about the snake that was lifted up 
in the wilderness. And Jesus said this. He said, and Moses, as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so the Son of Man be lifted up, due to whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world. That's what comes after. The Bible will read that again. So Jesus is referring, like the stellar verse of the New Testament is led up to this. It starts with this story. Jesus is saying, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. And whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So Jesus is referring to the story about the time when, when the Israelites were in the wilderness and they were complaining. They were grumbling against God. And what happened was, is these snakes began to be released into the camp. And this is the story from Numbers 21.8. It says, And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery servant and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. And this was tied in to the the idea of God sending his son into the world. But prior to that, the idea that he was lifted up, just like the serpent in the wilderness was lifted up. Notice that Moses said, God, you take away these serpents. How many would love to have a, a world where sickness was not in existence? Wouldn't that be awesome, right? The Lord didn't take away the snakes. There are snakes that represent sickness or illness that are going around the camp. And sometimes we get bitten by those snakes. And just remember, you never die from a snake bite. You die from the venom. So I always say, a snake may bite me, but I'm not dying from its venom. Amen? But the vipers were going around. God didn't take away the snakes. But instead, he he's told Moses to take this fiery serpent, this bronze serpent, the Nehustan, they say in the Hebrew, nail it to a pole and lift it up. Now, this is such an odd story. It really is. It's like, okay, I got bit by a snake. You have some, you know, venom, you know, some for the venom. What are you, you going to do? No, we don't. We, we just want you to look at that snake that uh, Mo put up for us. Thanks a lot, Mo. That's a, that's a big help, you know. Where's the serum? Where's the, where's the antidote? So the picture we have here is as, as the most important New Testament verse in our culture Prior to that, we see he's saying, listen, guys, you're going to get bit. There, there's times when you're going to get bit and you have to deal with this. But the remedy is to look to Jesus. And it says if you look to the, to the snake, you look to that, uh, the snake that was nailed to that pole, you will live. Look and you will live. I mean, a simple glance. So you can imagine that when Moses made this pole... He's going to put it someplace central, and he's going to lift it up pretty high, right? Yeah. Yeah, so wherever you are in camp, if you get bit, it's like it's not going to be real hard. Like, oh, look, and you will live. How many know that that's such a prophetic picture of what we find for our healing, my friends? It's something that we, instead of running around looking for venom, we just need to, first of all, look to the one who was nailed to that pole. Look at him, and you will live. Now, what happened? You know, what happened at that moment? 
You know, we don't, we don't know exactly what happened, but it was through that looking, that, that, that faith eyes looking up, it was lifted up, looking to the one that was nailed to that pole. And from that, you received your healing. You understand how, I mean, it's kind of crazy to believe that that's going to bring your healing. But this is how we get healed. We're looking to Jesus. And this is, there's a very interesting word, and I'll, I'll close with this, this word. It's the word NASA. Everybody heard of NASA before? Spaceships, okay. It's the Hebrew word, actually, NASA. And this word is, it talks about, it's found in Isaiah 53, 4. And remember, Isaiah is written, it's a, it's a prophetic picture of what Jesus would go through on the cross. Uh, Isaiah 53 sounds so much like the crucifixion that the Jewish people don't read it in synagogues because then they're accused of reading the New Testament. It's so prophetic. It was written 700 years prior. But this verse says about the Messiah, about the one who is coming, the Son of Man, surely he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. So there was this, this expectation that God was going to send a servant, someone that was like him, they had no idea it was his own son, that would come, that God would have him stricken and beaten so that we could be healed and so we could be made whole. This is what was prophesied that so many people missed. But when it talks about that he has borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, it's the Hebrew word nasah, and it means to bear, to carry, to lift up, to forgive, to exalt, and to honor. Now, that's, that's a lot of definitions in one word. But did you know that Jesus encapsulated that word on the cross? That he carried our sin when he was lifted up so that we could be forgiven? And it caused him to be in a place of honor and to be exalted because of what he did. He encapsulates that Hebrew word. He bore our sin. He carried it. He was lifted up. He forgave us so that he could be exalted and honored. And this morning, we look to him for our healing. We rest in what he did by his work. We don't add to it. I'm not adding to the work of Jesus. That would be insulting, right? I'm going to say fully what Jesus did. That's why when we pray for people, this healing belongs to me because of what Jesus has done. It's not this healing belongs to you because I have an amazing prayer and I fasted and prayed for three hours and took authority over this spirit. I may have some tools, but what I do is, is not what brings you healing. It's what he did on the cross 2,000 years ago. He's been lifted up, nailed to that cross. You look to him and watch and see your healing take place.